Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to tell you now that we most likely won't finish all of verses 1 through 10. Uh, for a main reason that you'll see near the end of the study. There, there's so much here that I don't want to rush through it, but we're going to cover quite a bit here. Let me read this section to you. Hebrews 9, verses 1 through 10. It says, Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up in its first room where the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people. Sorry, for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed, as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and the sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. Now, as you know, we've been looking at this study at how we are in that time period of the new order, the new covenant, the age of grace and and all, and how the Hebrew writer has been showing how the old way was insufficient. He goes into his next level of dealing with that. He now goes on to show the inadequacy of the old covenant by using the tabernacle and the sacrificial rituals and their design as being temporary. That's what we're going to be looking at as we go into this section. Again, he's talking about the tabernacle and the sacrificial rituals and their design as being temporary. Now, the author goes all the way back to God's design or instructions about building the tabernacle in the wilderness. And that's what we're going to go back. You have in front of you these pieces of paper that have that little schematic, if you will, of what the tabernacle in the wilderness uh, looked like uh, the best to the best of our ability and our understanding. Now, keep in mind, though, this has caused some problems for uh, people that have tried to interpret the scriptures. Uh, some say that because the Hebrew writer goes back to describe the tabernacle and not the temple... You know, I mean, because at the time this was written, the, the temple should have been there. You know, remember that Solomon built the first temple, and then it was rebuilt, and then it was cleaned up again, and and then it was destroyed in AD seventy. So there are those that we've been looking at that the Hebrew writer is, is writing, and I believe he's writing prior to AD seventy. But there are those who say, wait a minute, he's going back to the tabernacle. This is proof, they say, that neither the author nor his hearers belonged to Jerusalem, and. But it's not really saying that. That's just an argument from, from silence of some sort. You just, you just can't go there. Some others are saying, well, that the, the temple had been destroyed and was no longer standing. And this is proof that it was written after AD 70, because if there was a temple, the Hebrew writer would have used the temple as his description, not the tabernacle. But I'm going to show you that that's not really a good, good excuse either. There are others that say that the readers of this book probably weren't even Jews at all. That's why he, he's going back and talking about the tabernacle. And so what I want you to understand is... is, is Using something like this to prove something else when there really isn't evidence is kind of dangerous. And there's a lot of people out there that will try to use scripture by just saying, well, it says this, but it doesn't say that, so that must prove this. You've got to stick with what it says, all right? And just stay with what it says. Listen to teachers that teach what it says, not hypothesis. 
You know, there's a lot of theologies out there. There's a lot of doctrines. There's a lot of movements in the, in, in the church that are all, uh, all kind of housed on a little bit of Scripture and a lot of human reasoning. Well, if it says this, then maybe this means that, and that means this, and you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. And so you want to mainly deal with what it says. The Hebrew writer is going back to God's first design for the whole purpose of the tabernacle or the temple where God came to dwell with them and the sacrificial system was set up. The Hebrew writer is just simply, it's very simple. He's going back to when God first commanded the building of the sanctuary. Remember, he's talking about how it's, in, you're going to see how he's talking about its insufficiency. He just goes back to when it was first instituted. Not, he didn't need to go to the temple. He could go to when it's first instituted. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to Hebrews chapter, uh, put a bookmark here in Hebrews 9, and go to Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. In Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 through 9, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, um, uh, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil for the first and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. We looked at that passage a little bit last week. Let me just ask you a quick question. Where in the world are slaves who've been in slavery for over 400 years, who are now in the wilderness, and they don't have any food or water unless God provides it miraculously, where in the world are they going to get gold and silver and hides of cows? and Exactly. You remember? God had said that they would ask the Egyptians when they were on the, after the last plague, for, and they, they plundered the Egyptians. And if you go back, you'll see in Exodus chapter 12 that God gave them what? Gold, silver, fine cloth. Let me just say, sometimes God gives us blessings. And we have a tendency to think, wow, I hit the lottery. There's a chance God gave that to you, and you're going to find out down the road why He gave that to you. Don't immediately think, oh, cool, I get to go get a Winnebago. You know, kind of a thing. Make sure you know why God did what He did. He, he, he actually had given that. But here He says to them, I want to dwell among you. I need you to build me a sanctuary so that I can dwell among you. And the Hebrew writer now is going back to talk about this tabernacle. And I don't think it proves that they weren't Jews or they weren't tied to Jerusalem or the temple had been destroyed. I think the Hebrew writer said, let me go back to the original design and the original purpose for what God had in mind. Uh, Secondly, uh, the author's purpose is to show the impermanence of the earthly sanctuary. And what better one to look at but the one that was made as a tent? That's what I think. I said, be careful of those who try to read things into the Scriptures. Just take it for what it says, okay? And so, um, the Hebrew now begins to discuss the setup of the earthly tabernacle by talking about the overall setup of the rooms and their furniture, but his purpose is not to go into great detail. Look back here in Hebrews chapter 9. He even says at the end of verse 5, but we can't discuss these things in detail now. My purpose tonight is not to do that as well. I don't want to go into great detail to break down the tabernacle. There's, there, I mean, we could spend days and weeks and months on the breaking down and study the tabernacle. That is not my desire tonight. I don't want to do that. 
So we're not going to go into great detail. But there is something here that I don't know if you even caught it. There's something here that we have to look at that will cause us to do some of the study of the furniture and of the tabernacle, especially where they were placed. Okay? So, what I want to do now is do a little brief study of the tabernacle and kind of break things down, and then we're going to wrestle with one of the verses here because there's something that's said here that is seemingly very, very contradictory. All right? Now, you have in front of you your picture of the, uh, of the tabernacle. I've also got here, if you can see it, an uh, aerial view. All right? So it'll help us as well. All right? This is the outer court yard that you have out there of the, of the, the tent part around. This is the inner part. This is the, the tabernacle itself. It, it consisted of two rooms, the outer room and the inner room. This all faced east. North is here, east is there, south and west. The entrance to the, to the, to the courtyard is right here. It's about 20 cubits long. Uh, here you had the altar, or the brazen altar where they did the sacrifice, sacrifices of the animals. Here you had the laver, the for, basin for washing. And you entered in here, and only the priests could do that. They, did, they entered this room daily. On the right-hand side was the table of the shewbread. Over here on the, on the south side was the, uh, the menorah, the seven-branched candlestick that they were to light at night and keep them light all night. And then in the mornings, they would trim them down and, 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 and all. But then they'd relight them again in the evening. Here was the altar of incense, and right before the veil was the altar of incense. Inside the veil was the most holy place, or the holy of holies, on the west side here, and in there was the Ark of the Covenant. Alright? Now, what I want to deal with is this. You see on your thing here, and every place that you see one of these diagrams, they're all accurate. They have the Ark of the, of the Golden Altar of Incense, sorry, in the holy place, not the most holy place. You can hear me use the word outer room, inner room. You can hear me use the word holy place, most holy place. You can hear me use the word holy of holies. That's referring to the most holy place. Those are all interchangeable in the scripture. But all the diagrams have the altar, golden altar of incense, I believe accurately, in the holy place, just in front of the veil. Not in the most holy place. Correct? Yes. But look at Hebrews 9. Look at what Hebrews 9 says. And this is what we're going to wrestle with tonight. We're going to go slowly to deal with this. In Hebrews 9, let me read it to you again. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up in its first room where the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. Very few people have noticed this in all the years of study, but actually many people have who study the Scriptures. Where do they put this? Where does the Hebrew writer apparently put it? He puts it behind the veil in the Most Holy Place, the Holy of Holies. Now, some of your translations... All right, go ahead. How am I going too fast? No, no. All right. What's your question? Alright, so they're moving the curtain here. They have this piece of furniture in in the Holy of Holies. In the place, remember, if we see in verse 7 that the high priest was only allowed in here once a year. And that's where the burnt offering goes? No, burnt offerings are here. This is just the incense. But don't they use the. Isn't the coat that was Yes, we're going to get to that. They're brought in there. So it goes from there to there, but now you're telling me it goes from there to on the other side of the current. Yes. But who, 
Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Don't don't run ahead just yet. We will solve all of this. I'm telling you. It's at first going to make you go, wait a minute. Slow down. We're going to actually solve it. And it's actually, I'm telling you, by the end of tonight, it's going to make so much sense. You're going to go, oh, good. I can keep my Bible. You know, and, 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 and it's, going to, it's actually going to be a fun study. So stick with me. But let's be honest. Does it not read that the ark, oh, sorry, the golden altar of incense is behind the curtain in here? Now, some of your translations, if you have New King James, don't call it, they don't even mention the altar of incense. They mention a censer. They just say a golden censer. Now, we'll get to that in a second. So let's, let's begin to look at that and try to find out how we deal with this, alright? Now, let's go to Exodus chapter 40, verses 1 through 8. Here in Exodus chapter 40, verses 1 through 8, you will see the actual setting up. We've had the instructions for a while, starting in chapter 25. But in Exodus chapter 40, starting in verse 1 through 8, we see the actual setting up of the tabernacle for the first time. Alright, and let me read that to you. Exodus chapter 40, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the first month. Place the ark of the testimony in it, and shield the ark with the curtain. Bring in the table and set out what belongs on it. That's the showbread table. Then bring in the lamp stand and set up its lamps. Place the gold altar of incense in front of the ark of the testimony and put the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. All right? So he says, here's what I want you to do. Set up the tabernacle. The first piece of furniture they were to put in was what? The ark of the, the, ark of the covenant. They put that in the holy of holies, the most holy place. They then were to do what? Shield it with the curtain. They were to put the curtain up. Then they were to go and they were to bring the table of showbread, put it on the north side, the lampstand, put it on the south side, and then they were to take the golden altar, that's important, the golden altar of incense, and put it right in front of the curtain that was separating them from the Holy of Holies. And then they were to set up the entrance curtain on the, on the front of the tabernacle of the outer room there. Go ahead. Right. Well, no, no. Right. Look, but the curtain's been set up. That's the second curtain. There's a first curtain that they mentioned. If you look back, it says here, all right, and uh, place the ark of the testimony and shield the ark with the curtain. As you're, yeah, and you're going to see as we come back. That's 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 actually what you're seeing there is a very important thing for down the road. So again, stay with me. You're right. Stay with me. What you what you just noticed is going to be very one of the most important passages coming up later in the study. All right? But I want you to just stick with me, Hal. It's supposed to be in this room here. This is the correct place, and I'll show you in time that that is the correct place. All right? So, uh, as he goes on, he then says uh, in verse 6, Place the altar of burnt offering in front of the entrance to the tabernacle and the tent, the tent of meeting. Place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Set up the courtyard around it and put the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. Okay, here we see the setup of the tabernacle. Now, I'm just going to take a little side jaunt here and chase something that we need to chase. They keep using this term for the tabernacle of, they call it the tent of meeting. You notice that. Now, interestingly enough though, you'll see the word tent of meeting used in Exodus 33. Go to Exodus 33. This is before they have the tabernacle set up. In Exodus 33, starting in verse 7, some of your Bibles will have that little heading, tent, the tent of meeting. It says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away. 
calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp, and whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance, while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his own tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Now, okay, here we see that there was a tent of meeting that was outside the camp where Moses would go and meet with God. Anybody had a question? Moses would go talk to God. It was outside the, the camp. Once the tabernacle was set up in the center of the camp, this tent of meeting was no longer necessary because prior to that, it was called the tent of meeting where Moses would go meet with God. God would show up at the outside of the tent. Moses would be inside the tent. But once the tabernacle is set up, God comes to dwell inside the tent and the priests could minister between God and man from the tabernacle. And you're going to see throughout Scripture the tabernacle also called the tent of meeting. And for some people that becomes very confusing because they, they read about this tent of meeting and they'll say, wait a minute, that's not the tabernacle. Prior to the tabernacle being set up, there was a place called the tent of meeting outside the camp where Moses met with God. Once God told Moses to set up the tabernacle inside the camp, he didn't use the tent of meeting anymore outside the camp. Why? Because God now was dwelling among them in the midst of them. Okay? The New King James has Actually, NIV will say both. Yeah, it's here. They have tabernacle in Exodus 33? Yeah, young man did not depart from the tabernacle. Yep, isn't that interesting? So, again, the tent of meeting is used interchangeably. Tabernacle is to dwell with them. It's a place where God would meet with them. Before the tabernacle, God met with Moses outside the camp in this one tent. Now he's meeting inside the camp in the tabernacle that he had set up. Okay, So you're going to see the term tent of meeting as you do study on this used interchangeably. They're kind of both the same thing. They're kind of not. One was prior to the tabernacle. One was once the tabernacle was set up. Then it's also used interchangeably called the tent of meeting. We, we still together? Tabernacle of the congregation. Exactly. So, I don't know what that means, but go ahead. That's good. All right. In back in Exodus chapter forty, where we're looking, the the golden altar is set right in front of the ark. I believe that it is, and I'm going to show you other places that's proof that it's outside the curtain, not inside the curtain, next to the ark. Okay, and you'll see why. Alright, uh, but let's, let's go, let's, let's deal with this now. Go to Luke chapter, no, actually, let's, let's, not do, let's not do Luke, let's do Exodus 30, verses 7 through 8. Actually, I'm going to go all the way back to verse 1. Exodus chapter 30, we're going to get to verses 7 and 8. God says, make an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. It is to be square, a cubit long, and a cubit wide, and two cubits high. Its horns of one piece with it overlay the top and all the sides and the horns with pure gold, and make a gold molding around it. Make two gold rings for the altar below the molding, 
two on opposite sides to hold the poles used to carry it. Make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Put the altar in front of the curtain that is before the Ark of the Testimony. Again, you see, it's not inside the most holy place. It's right in front, right there in front of that curtain. I can tell you, the pictures we have, the, the, the schematics we have are accurate. Alright? It's to be put right there in, before the atonement cover that's over the testimony where I will meet with you. Look at verse 7. Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar when? Every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight, so incense will burn regularly before the Lord for generations to come. And then he talks about not to, what not to do on that. Alright, the priest was to minister at this golden altar of incense every single day. Is that possible if it's inside here? No, it's extremely clear that where the golden Ark of the Covenant was... Only the high priest, and only once a year on the Day of Atonement, and actually you'll see a little bit later on, he goes in there twice during that day. But only once a year was the high priest ever allowed in this room. Therefore, it's impossible for this altar of incense to be in there. So why then does it look like the Hebrew writer has it in the wrong room? Do we have a contradiction of Scripture? Have we finally, for all those who are looking to find the proof that the Bible is not true, we found a mistake. Let me tell you, that's not the case. But now we're going to wrestle with what are some options as to why it appears the Hebrew writer has it in, in the wrong room. Here's the first option that some of you have said. Some people have said that the altar of incense was not even in this room, the holy place, because it's not even mentioned in Exodus chapter 26, verses 30 through 37. Alright, so let's deal with that one. Let's deal with that one first. Go to Exodus 26, verses 30 through 37, and you'll see a very interesting thing. As they're describing the furniture in the holy place, the altar of incense isn't even mentioned. Exodus 26, starting in verse 30. Set up the tabernacle according to the plan shown you on the mountain. Make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen with cherubim worked into it by a skilled craftsman. Hang it with gold hooks on four posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. Hang the curtain from the clasp and place the ark of the testimony behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Put the atonement cover on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. Place the table outside the curtain on the north side of the tabernacle and put the lampstand opposite on the south side. For the entrance to the tent, make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer. Make gold hooks for this curtain and five, gold, five posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and five, cast five bronze bases for them. So there are some that are saying, wait a minute, here they are describing all the furniture in the tabernacle. They mention the Ark of the Covenant. They mention the veil that's between it and the rest of the tabernacle. They mention the Schubert table. They mention the lampstand. They don't mention the, the, the golden altar of incense. So maybe it wasn't even in that room at all. Maybe that's proof that it's supposed to be in the other room. Well, here's the problem. They're using an argument from silence. Remember what I told you. Deal with what the Word says. Don't try to extrapolate because something was left out. Because if you're going to use that argument, if you're going to say, well, it's not mentioned in the holy place, therefore it must be in the holy of holies, what's the problem with that? It's not mentioned in the holy of holies either. So if you're going to use the argument from silence, you have to use it in that room too. We know that there is a golden altar of incense. The fact that it's not mentioned in Exodus 26 doesn't prove anything. 
Alright? For some reason, it was just left off. Alright? But the golden altar is clearly mentioned in other places. One we just saw in Exodus 30, and the other one in Exodus 40. We saw very clearly that the golden altar is a massive, important piece of furniture in the tabernacle. Alright? So, that argument of, well, it's not even mentioned in Exodus 26 means it's not in the room, can't be used. Another option is this. Some of you, how many, does anybody hear of a uh, New King James translation? You have, you, have, you have it with you tonight? Let me have New King I'm sorry? Well, the New King James translation in Hebrews 9 calls it a censer. Does any, any of your translations... Go back to Hebrews 9. Go back to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 3. And then into verse 4. Yep, behind the second... It was golden altar of incense we have. Some translations say golden censer. Your translation says golden censer. Now, let's deal with that. There are some people that say, well, the Hebrew writer wasn't describing the altar of incense. He was describing the censer that carried the coals, like you were talking, from the altar of incense into the holy place once a year, most holy place once a year. He was describing that piece of furniture, and that's why some translations say censer. All right. The reason they argue is this: the Greek word translated here, gold altar of incense, and some of your translations censer, is the Greek word thumaterion, which means incense thing. Really, is what it means. All right. That's pretty much how you translate it: incense thing. All right. They say that um, it could mean censer, and therefore is not referring to the altar, but the censer when Aaron used when he went into the most holy place. So let's take a look at where it describes this censer that Aaron used. Go to Leviticus chapter 16. Now we're going to get to verses 12 and 13, but what I want to do real quick is just kind of set up reading the whole chapter here up to that point. Leviticus 16, starting in verse 1, says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place, behind the curtain, in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die, because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary sanctuary area with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for the burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with the linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for the burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting, which is now the tabernacle. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one for the Lord and one other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain 
He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony so that he will not die. Now, if you want to later on go and read, you'll see all the instructions of how he was to apply the bull's blood there on the altar, uh, 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 sorry, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the atonement cover, and he then was to apply it on the, go back outside the curtain and apply it on the golden altar of incense, and then he was to go and sacrifice the goat, and he was to bring that back into the the whole most holy place. So he actually entered into the most holy place twice. But he was to take a censer which would hold the, the coals from the altar of incense, the hot coals. He'd put the hot coals in the censer, take two handfuls of finely ground incense, and as he entered into the most holy place where God dwelled above the cherubim, he was to throw that incense on the coals and it was going to go what? Poof. And it was going to make this sweet smell but also make a little bit of a cloud so that he would be protected from seeing God. And he was to take the blood and he was to do it seven times with his finger and then he was to come back out do it on the altar. But when he was to enter in, he was to take the censer full of the hot coals with him in the incense and do that. Some people are saying, New King James translations say, since they use the Greek word thumaterion in Hebrews 9, that he wasn't describing this altar of incense, he was describing that censer. And that's why the, 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 they, that said, they say that inside there was the censer. Now we've got a couple of problems with this though. Here are the problems. Why mention the censer first of all and not the altar at all, and the table when the lampstand, when everything else is mentioned? Why just mention the censer and all that? But again, let's not make arguments from, from silence. There is no mention anywhere in the Old Testament of a golden censer. And it's very clear in Hebrews 9 that it was a golden whatever it was. There's no mention of a golden censer. It's never called a golden censer anyway. Also... Also, when the high priest entered the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, he brought the censer with him. How could he bring it with him if it was behind the curtain? He wasn't allowed to say, oh, excuse me, God, can I get this for a second? And then get it, and then put coal. He couldn't do... It couldn't have been in there. Yes, ma'am. If there was specific instruction to how each of these things were to be made... Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, to be honest with you, I don't. It just it says the censor. I don't remember any instructions on how the censor that we have recorded how it was to be made. I again, we don't have them recorded that I know of. It might be there, but I haven't seen it. It was recorded because he didn't record exactly everything. He just said make this and make this. Some things he said specifically how to make. We have recorded other things we don't. That's why part of trying to design how this all puts together. Remember, we were talking about this last week. Thank God, God showed him a picture of what it was going to look like. Otherwise, it would be very hard to build from the instructions that he was given. So, I don't know of any instructions on that golden censer kind of a thing. Or actually censer, because it's never called a golden censer anywhere uh, uh, in the Old Testament. So, But again, keep in mind, if the Hebrew writer was not referring to the altar of incense, but referring to the censer, that still doesn't work, because it can't be behind the curtain if the, Aaron was to bring it with him when he entered full of hot coals. So that's not a good, good, good reason either. Because there are some that just say, well, he wasn't talking about the altar, he was just talking about the, the censer. Here's the third reason, and I think this is the actual correct answer. All right? The Hebrew writer is not referring to a censer in chapter 9, but to the actual altar of incense. 
But if you look closely, and we'll go back, the, alt, the, the passage doesn't actually say that the altar was within the most holy place. Alright, let's go back and read it again. It appears that that's what it's saying from some of our translations. Let me read, starting in verse 3. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. Now it appears from reading it that way that they're both in that room. But listen closely to the actual literal translation of the Greek. Alright, here is how the Greek is literally translated. The text literally reads, Behind the second veil was a room which is called the Holy of Holies, having or belonging to a golden altar of incense. The actual Greek reads this way. Let me read it to you again. Behind the second veil was a room which is called the Holy of Holies, having or belonging to a golden altar of incense. The Greek word translated either having or belonging to. See, in, in my new uh, international version, it, the word is which had. It's that they translated it which had the gold ark of, it, of incense. That word translated which had in the Greek is actually this Greek word ekousa, which actually means accompanying or an association with. Let me give you an example of how it's used. Go back to Hebrews chapter 6 and look at verse 9. In Hebrews chapter 6, that's part of the problem, but in this instance, it's just simply, the, the, the problem isn't from Hebrew to Greek. In this one, it's just straight the Greek that he used. Because it, it, it's the translation of the Greek itself. Look at, look at Hebrews 6, though, verse 9, and it'll start to become clear. In verse 9, it says this, Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. By the way, that, that translation of things that accompany salvation, that's that same root word that we have in Hebrews 9, accompanying or belonging to. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Hebrew writer in chapter 9 is not saying that the altar of incense was actually in the room. He was just simply saying that the altar of incense was associated so intensely, and this is what you were talking about, Neil, with the golden altar, uh, or the Ark of the Covenant, that it was hard to separate the two. Remember, and I'll get right to you, Jeannie, he's not going into great detail here. His purpose is to just roughly remind them of what had been set up, what their purposes were, and then he's going to show how they're insufficient. And what he's really saying, and like I say, Jeannie, I'll get right to you, uh, and what he's really saying here in chapter 9 is, is, well, let me clarify it for you in this way. In verse 2, he uses the Greek word within. You see there, and look at verse 2, a tabernacle was set up in its first room, or within its first room, where the... He doesn't use that same word in verses 3 and 4. He uses that other word saying associated with, belonging to, tied together with. If he was literally saying it was within that room, he would have used the exact same word that he had just used in verse 2. He doesn't do that. Go ahead, you had your hand up. It's really talking about it's, it's talking about its association. Let me ask you a question: um, Are you associated with Jesus Christ right now, or is He with you? Yes. Are you separated? No. Are you? No. You aren't. You are, and you aren't. 
Yeah, your spirit isn't. Because you, you, so you are, there's an association, but there right now, to be absent from the body, present with the Lord, there's an element in which, even though we're associated, we're not really together. It's that kind of a picture. He wasn't trying to specifically lay out all the details. He was just simply, and the word he used was translated not so well. <laughs> the word he used was translated, well, maybe he means gold thing, incense thing. And they tried to say censor because it didn't seem to fit. But the real issue is he used a word that says pertaining to and they translated it in that room. Go ahead, Allison, then we'll get to you. My translation yeah. uh, says having the golden altar men sense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden jar holding man. Right. So it's very distinctive. Yeah, and again, but it, again, it's it, the same verse. Exactly. It doesn't put it in the room per se as much as it just associates them right. together. What I'm saying is there's Right. Right. In which that was contained inside the ark. Right. Exactly. But again, in most of our translations, it reads like the golden altar of incense is on the wrong side of the curtain. It just does. But the issue is not its location. The issue is that the Hebrew writer was talking about its relationship and how it was tied. Let me show you an example. Oh, go ahead. Again, we, 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 we're starting to you know, to split hairs a little bit too much. Like I say, please understand, the issue is this. We know for a fact that the Holy of Holies is where the golden altar of incense... No, sorry, the holy place is where the altar, golden altar of incense was. It's impossible for it to have been in there because of the fact that they had to minister on it daily. Keep the incense burning. But remember we looked at this before, how it relates to Revelation chapter 8 in the passage, how there's an altar of incense before the Lord that continually burns. It's the prayers of the saints. The priests ministered at that every day. They weren't allowed in here but only once a year, and that was the high priest, so it has to be on this side of the curtain. The issue is not that the Hebrew writer was saying that it was talking about a censer. That doesn't work either. The issue is the Hebrew writer was simply saying in association with the golden, all, uh, the, the, the golden Ark of the Covenant. Let me show you how they're, they're, they're so associated. All right, Both had blood sprinkled on them on the Day of Atonement. The showbread table didn't have blood sprinkled on it. The lampstand didn't have... Um, blood sprinkled on it. The golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant both had blood sprinkled on them on the Day of Atonement. Coals from this altar were carried into the presence of God in the most holy place on the Day of Atonement. The altar is also spoken of, and this is what you talked about, Neil, the altar is also spoken of repeatedly as being before the Lord, before the Ark of the Testimony, or belonging to the inner sanctuary. And you can look at those later on if you want. That's Leviticus 16, 12, Exodus 40, verse 5, or 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 22. Let me say those three again. Leviticus 16, 12, Exodus 40, verse 5, and 1 Kings 6, verse 22. In those places, you will see the Ark of the, in, uh, sorry, the golden altar of incense referred to as before being before the Lord, or before the Ark of the Testimony, or belonging to the inner sanctuary. Even though it's not in the room literally, it is so intricately tied together, it's hard to separate them. The Hebrew writer simply was saying that the two were associated together. Unfortunately, the word he used has been mistranslated over the years to make it sound like it was on the wrong side of the curtain. It's not on the wrong side of the curtain. Problem is solved. It's just a bad 
the word, I'm not saying he chose the wrong word, I'm saying we translated the word he chose because I think God chose every word. The word he chose, we've translated not so well. And that happens sometimes when we'll say something and people will hear something else. Alright? So, now, in the time that we have left, now that we've done all this, looking at the first five verses, verses 6-10 through 10 are going to make so much more sense now, though. It's been actually worthwhile to do this. Because it's made us look at God's design and what He was doing. Go look at verses 6-10 through, through 10 in, in chapter 9 of Hebrews. It says, When everything had been arranged like this, the priest entered the regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people. For the, sorry, for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way in, into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. Alright? Now, the priests went daily into which room? The holy place or the outer room. Alright? And who got to go into the inner room and how often? Only the high priest and only once a year on the Day of Atonement. Now, if you remember from Leviticus 16, he went into that room twice, which Bobby, I'll be honest with you, until I had done the study for this, I had never known that. I thought he was allowed in there once on that day. He actually went in twice. Once to offer the bull's blood for his sins and the sins of his family. And then he was able to go back and offer the blood of the goat for the sins of the people that they had committed. I'm sorry? Aaron was the first one. From then on, it was whoever was chosen as the high priest according to lineage and things like that. It would be his family? It, it, would, it would be his, his, his family and all. Moses was never allowed there. Actually, he got to see God face to face all the time. He, he got to do Remember, he took that sensor and he made that smoke so he really he didn't see. It was just to go provide, put the blood and to get out. He wasn't to hang around. He wasn't to say, hey, this is cool. Let me look around. They were scared for their lives because they knew, as exciting as it might be to be in the presence of God, it was petrifying. They, were, they actually went to go in there without permission and they were killed. Fire came out and killed them. All right, now... Here's what the Holy Spirit was teaching. Here he says that the Holy Spirit, in verse 8, the Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. There's three things I want you to see. One, except for this one annual occasion, access to the throne of God was banned for all Israelites, even the high priest himself. Entry into the presence of God, it's a no-no. That was what was being shown. By God, by this tabernacle. You want to come into my presence? You can't. And only one guy whom I choose and whom has to bring blood is allowed in. God is showing, you just can't come straight to me. Alright? When the high priest was allowed to enter, it was only with the protection of sacrificial blood. Thirdly, this sacrificial blood was not permanently effective. It had to be re-offered every year. So in other words, the Holy Spirit, the Hebrew writer, has been showing through the tabernacle all along that one, this is not how you get into the presence of God. It's ineffective. It's just temporary. In other words, man, if we're ever going to get into God's presence, there has to be something better. 
There has to be something better than this because look, we're not even allowed in His presence. Only one guy is and he's only on the fear of his life. The rest of us never get into His presence. And on top of that, it's having to be done over and over and over to to, to appease Him. Wouldn't it be cool if we could get into His presence and have it be permanent? And praise God, as I wrote in my notes, the high priest who offered his own blood once and for all has come. But I stopped myself because I realized I was getting ahead of the Hebrew writer when I started to preach there in my notes here. So what I want to do is, I want to, as we close tonight, I want to just leave a little tidbit of where we're going to pick up. We're not going to finish this, this section tonight. I want us to look at verse 9. And I want you to see something here that we're going to come back to when we pick up next week. And I cannot wait to get to it. Because there's a lot of Christians that are going to need where we go next week. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and the sacrifices being offered were not able to clear what? The conscience of the worshiper. Listen closely. Please, 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 if you can all be here, be here next week as we deal with this. Because the Scripture, and you're going to see it as it gets into chapter 10 and other places, and we're going to take a look at those, that God's design was not only to make us righteous in His eyes, it was also to cleanse our consciences. And there are many Christians today who are born again, who are going to heaven, they've been given the Spirit of God, but they don't have a clear conscience. They still feel like God's mad. They feel like their conscience is still beating them up. And Paul, in an interesting way, even though he said, what a wretched man that I am, the things that I want to do, I don't, the things I do want to do, I, you know, the things I do want to do, I don't, the things I don't want to do, I do. That same Paul also later on in that section said, but actually it's not me doing it, it's sin living in me. What I want to deal with next week is, what does it mean that Jesus' sacrifice is able to clear our consciences? And I'm going to ask you an honest question. Really be honest with yourself. Is your conscience clear? I'm not saying, are you saved? I'm saying, is your conscience clear? Because if you're born again and your conscience isn't clean and clear, you're missing out on a major part of what Jesus came to do. He didn't come just to make you right before God. He came to give you a clear conscience. That's going to be a deep, fun study next week. Hopefully that will make you say, I want to start reading ahead. Go ahead and do it. Do all you want. Now again... All we did tonight was wrestle with this one issue of how it appears that the uh, golden altar of incense was in the wrong side of the curtain. But we've come to realize the passage isn't saying, as we've translated it, that it was on the wrong side of the curtain. It was just simply saying that it was associated so intently or so intricately with the golden Ark of the Covenant that they were together. Unfortunately, we've translated it that it was on the wrong side of the curtain. The Hebrew had never said that. And of course, we try to defend it by saying, well, he meant censored. No, he didn't mean censored. Oh, we say, well, it's really not mentioned in Exodus 26. No, that's not the issue. The issue is, is we mistranslated the words he used. And when you actually take the time to break it down and look, look at it, you come to realize, hey, there's no problem here at all. All right? Let me close this. Yes, go ahead. The relationship between the two. Folks, you're going to find that very, very important. Very important as we move on. The intricate relationship between the two. Remember the altar that's in, and you're making me go ahead, but I'll do it just a little bit. We've got a couple minutes. You remember the golden altar of incense that's in the actual throne room of God? Remember, this is all a copy of the real one in heaven. What is burning on that altar 24 hours a day? The prayers of the saints. 
Folks, we are too intricately associated with, belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ and God Almighty. Yeah, for a while it seems like there's a veil between us. But there isn't. It's almost like we're there. And actually the Bible says we are. When we really start to understand the association between the altar and the Ark of the Covenant and our relationship because of what Jesus has done, your conscience is going to get clear. You might be fun to be around. Let me pray for us. Father, I look forward to us coming back next week as we take a look at what this means to have our conscience cleaned. But Lord, I thank You for tonight. You've shown us that Your Word is able to be wrestled with, able to be dissected, able to be looked at. Lord, it's amazing to think that 40 different authors from so many different time periods, over 2,000 years, uh, wrote this book, yet it ties together. There's no flaw, there's no error, there's no contradiction. There may be even times it appears so, but the more you look and the more you wrestle with it, the more you come to realize, actually, there really isn't one. And so, Lord, thank You for the way that Your Word is true and is provable. Father, keep us from places or from error ourselves of thinking that certain parts you wrote and certain parts you didn't or certain parts are applicable and certain aren't. Certain parts are true and certain parts aren't. Father, may we be grounded on every word of this book you breathed. And Lord, I know that will keep us, that will protect us from falling into apostasy. That will keep us from false teachers. That will keep us from error. Lord, we may not understand every word of this book. But if we believe that every word is true, it's going to protect us. And we'll be headed in the right place. Father, may we never get to the place where we think that the writer used the wrong word. May we always go to the direction of thinking maybe we translated it wrong. We pray this in your name. Amen.